really give you a nod there for the, the uh, Neuromancer nod in the middle of that. It's an excellent name to drop. Uh, I've read many other Neil Stevenson. I, I went into a big phase yeah, of Neil Stevenson. I've got a bunch of them up there. Yes. No, I mean, I'm a sci-fi guy and um, yeah, even some of the darker stuff. Right. It moves very quickly. It's actually quite a short book to read. Mm. It is for Neil Stevenson. Welcome to Cloud Realities, a conversation show about what cloud-driven transformation really means for businesses and humans. I'm Dave Chapman. And I'm Shel Kazal. And this week, we're going to be talking to James Trezona. He's the founder of Roosterpunk, a marketing agency who specializes in digital and the author of the book, Humanizing B2B. James, it's great to see you here. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so we founded Roosterpunk uh, back in 2012, but my background was actually in tech. So my first big role, we scaled up a human capital consulting agency, went digital, fell over, broke, <laughs> learned the hard way about load balancing and stuff like that, then went into the marketing of technology and then marketing technology itself. Fantastic. And you got to tell us, where did the name come from? <laughs> so the name, we... Um, well, we kind of were born out of after 2008, 2009 happened, we wanted to be a force for good. So founding mantras, force for good. So we looked around for symbols and things we thought were interesting. Now, my family have always been in sort of social, positive enterprise, environmental. And what I hated about it was it always looked a bit anti-fun. Mm. It's like, mm. you can't go on holiday, you can't eat meat. And we were like, actually, doing good should be cool. And so we found a symbol. So roosters are on the top of churches. The reason right. for that is they're a semi-religious symbol for good because they face the dawn and are positive. But also, they're kind of cocky, right? Right, right, right. So the idea was a positive future, a clean future, a more equitable future should be awesome, not dull. And so rooster punk, you know, punk music, anti-establishment, yeah. we're trying to go against the status quo, change things for good. And so that's rooster punk. And we could buy the URL. <laughs> Which is absolutely important in this day and age. You have to come up with a, a mix of words in an unusual fashion because pretty much everything else is gone. So marketing, I think, at least my perspective on it, is, this is perhaps not empirically true from working in enterprise, is that marketing was often one of the first departments to think differently through the use of digital in, in terms of things like, well, we, at the moment we're, you know, say broadly B2B, maybe there's opportunities to go B2C. And certainly marketing agencies were very fast to respond to digital tooling and, and the possibilities of scale in communication. So, you know, before we get into some specifics, I wonder if you had any reflections on the disruption that you've seen in marketing and, uh, and, and whether you think it was maybe an early mover. Yeah, it certainly was, although there was you know, disruption everywhere. So my background was I was in tech and then I moved into marketing of technology, but also technology marketing itself. And what I saw was, so I was working with like Deutsche Bank and as they're trying to go digital, but 
Tesco's HR, mm. the HR director in 2000, she didn't have a computer. She refused to have a computer. <laughs> um, similarly, then when I went you over to- get all to, the emails printed out. Uh, they didn't have email. So no this way. is the HQ of Tesco, non-food, where I was working, yeah. did not. So we the, basically what happened was um, the big chain Asda were acquired by Walmart and mm. they were suddenly, oh my gosh, the Americans are coming. And they understood yeah, right. Walmart was technology enabled. So they went from having no email, mm. it was this kind of very basic system, to going wall-to-wall Microsoft Office in a year. It was the most incredible impact on culture. Right. So that was the last tech project I did, which was quite hectic. Mm. Then I moved to agency side. So I went to quite a world-famous agency called Saatchi and Saatchi. And I was kind oh, of right, the yeah. tech, I was the tech guy. I was mm. probably the only person in Charlotte Street who knew, I remember trying to explain what a server was to a room of people, just looked at me. <laughs> and um, the I remember the managing director of Team Saatchi, which is kind of the agile, more innovative end, saying to me, we were pitching to a young Norwegian.com entrepreneur who's setting up a very early social media, social network. And he said to him, but what are you going to do when the internet goes away? Because it's a bit of a fad. No. Seriously. We did not win that pitch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And similarly, the people working there, I remember you know, talking to people who had first-class degrees from places like St. Martin's, best. And they're going, we don't want to work on t- banner ads. Right, right, and so right, right. there was a huge resistance to change. And actually, what was I then moved into another agency, which again was a traditional agency, and we started to change. And we, we suddenly realized, and it was about culture as much mm. as skills, mm. and actually getting people to understand the possibilities and the potential that marketing enabled us. And so we went from a small agency of 15, we were acquired, got to several hundred people really using marketing automation and marketing technology. And that was huge. And I spent my life going around the world explaining to clients that actually you can buy this technology. It's really good. Yeah. But actually, the biggest change is not just culture, but also organizational change. You'll yeah. have to change the structure of your organization to make this work. And all that happened in about 2005 to 2010. There was this massive increase in marketing operations, marketing tech people. Mm. And it was, people talk about disruption a lot, but it was jaw-dropping because it felt like the world had been completely turned on its head head. exactly well let's let's just if you if we can let's just dig into that because i think it's a it's an amazing example of a profession that has really been thoroughly digitized um in a way that actually a lot of other professions haven't experienced in the same way yet so let's take let's take marketing operations as a as a as a start point and maybe if you could sketch out what was it like what's the before and after of the Mm -hmm. situation if you see what i mean yeah, so I mean, marketing operations wasn't really much of a thing. Um, you had producers doing complex execution of work, but suddenly you had building websites. You had, if I give the example where I, we were focused on, is marketing automation. And a slide two when I presented used to be, marketing automation doesn't work. Right. Because <laughs> the name's very misleading. You think yeah. it's automated. It's not. Hmm. Because what you need to do is front load your effort Instead of just creating a campaign, which is, you know, websites, some emails, some ads, you need to think through every potential decision tree, 
create a whole load of automated emails across different personas, create a huge amount of thought over a long period and forces you to think long-term. And that mm. a front-loading of effort um, across quarters, which often marketers didn't even have budget for, <laughs> um, right. was incredibly hard. So marketing operations were not just about do executing on the need of complexity. They're also having to change behaviors, even down to the way things were financed, measures and, and resulted and reported on. I think what you articulate there is is significant in the sense of yes, it's it's technical and new tools coming in, but is what it's actually trying to do what it's actually doing is is fundamentally changing day jobs on a very sort of micro level. So what I used to do before, I'm now doing actually 10 different things on a daily basis. So the, the change is like right down to everybody's desk. And it sounds to me like people were actually doing different things as well. It wasn't just, hey, I'm now doing a faster version of what I did before. It's, it's actually different. And there's a reason it's different. I wonder if you've got a view on what that, dif- what, you know, what that difference was and what drove it. Yeah. So some of it, so we, Poxas and Gamble, P&G was a big client of mine. We had amazing data on the consumer level of how in-store promotions were effective, for instance. And so, but suddenly as things became digitalized and we were dealing with people in an interactive fashion, we had that in real time. Mm. We had the role of planning, for instance, strategy planning changed to really having to understand the experience and the all the touch points, huge complexity. And so instead of really coming up with a quite linear fashion, advertising used to be quite linear. You get to do a bunch of research, take a brief, write a brief, brief it to creative, execute, rinse, repeat. Mm. Suddenly you're having to do that the whole time because your data points were continually changing. Yeah. So you were responding in a much faster fashion to the market. Yes. And across, you know, and demographic patterns, which we, we, I remember upstairs, my first agency, we had these books and books and books about the demographics and telling us, right, yeah, really TV driven, to suddenly having at our fingertips the ability to look at heat maps of how people were looking, you know, eye tracking software mm. on a web page or, or, or in store, et cetera. And that fundamentally changed what we did day to day. And now the trouble is, and there's a big challenge with all of this, you can get a bit lost in the data. Yes, right. And misled. And misled. There's like great quotes around not everything that matters can be measured and not everything that can be measured matters. Mm. Mm. And it's very, so the rise of marketing operations, again, I, I talked about, said part of what they're having to do was kind of reorganize structures, not just execute. They were as doing things differently. But also you end up focusing sometimes on the tool. Yeah, humans are biased towards novelty. So yeah. we go, great, yeah. we've got this machine learning algorithm it's wonderful that's going to do our job for us it's like, well no you're still dealing with people both internally and externally you still need to create excitement internally you need to get the sales team excited about this quite hard to get them excited about a machine learning algorithm engine driving a website what are we saying <laughs> even with um, such a catchy name <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um and you know so that human element, the fact that I'm not just talking about the customers I'm talking about, especially in B2B, it's the people, mm. it's the salespeople, those teams when she's on the phone, when she's engaging with a customer through a chat body, whatever that is, whatever that engagement is, you have to think about how do you make it satisfying for 
the individual, the staff, mm. the marketeers? How do you make this this a really interesting job rather than a job which feels like it, you're just essentially looking at computing yeah. scores and following what they're telling you to do? Where's the room for creativity and innovation? Right. And culturally, it's hard to balance those two things. It's not impossible. It's really hard. Have people say, no, it's all driven by data. As Einstein said, data shows us what's been. Imagination shows us what can be. Mm. Indeed. Like, future realities. Mm. How does it enable human connection? And how do you get the balance between, yeah, I feel like I'm talking to a big audience because I'm putting stuff out on Twitter, for example, versus I actually know that I've, I've landed something on somebody because I've seen their reaction. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. Um, because that complexity, even with simple click yeah, you see, you can understand what a click is. Well, actually, can you? Is it a real click? Is it a, a thumb click, an accidental right. click? Is it a bot? So there's actually a huge amount of complexity, even when they're relatively simple to measure things. Um, and actually, some of it does come back to some of the softer stuff. I just ask speaking to your customers, because sometimes we can get so obsessed by having incredible toolkits, which are supposed to tell us exactly how our customers are behaving and the digital body language. We forget to just speak to them. Mm. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, there are, you know, there's a human, you can have a conversation there somewhere. Yeah. You just need to ask your customers, rather than trying yeah. to work out and piece together a load of tech to tell you whether it was, was it the banner ad they clicked on three weeks ago, and then the piece of content they downloaded yeah. two weeks ago, and you do an attribution score. How do we, should we just ask the customer? Now, they they're they may have been perfect in their recollection, mm. but kind of what they think matters. <laughs> they think it was the ad they saw on TV, which, by the way, you have no data for, yeah, yeah, yeah. is what made them love the brand and created mental availability. So what digital does is it's great at creating kind of physical availability, your ability to get actually stuff. interact with a brand mm. and get stuff in Amazon and order things, etc. But mental availability is driven by fame. It's driven mm. by you occupying something. So campaigns that aim for fame are significantly three times more effective than ones that just try to drive leads because what you want to do is create memory memories right. create stories all about storytelling humans are all about storytelling they occupy a pace in our brain and if we understand the story of what you're trying to tell us and why it matters and why it's relevant and it shows some empathy or understanding then when you actually think about you're online next or you're in the store then you activate now you need to be there and so it's the balance between the two. It's absolutely understanding all of it. And that's the bit that's hard is doing both. What would you say, either from personal experience or just something you've admired, is a particularly good example of that? Yeah, I, th I think IBM is a great example. It does some really good stuff. This is for the good. Right. I've seen some bad stuff. So IBM, their brand move. And again, they've been incredible at recreating that company, mm. Big Blue. And that move towards Smarter Planet, huge and again it wasn't just marketing it was actually a business move and what they then did was they used data and they did some contrarian things like they had these ads which were tons and tons, lots and lots of copy right. loads of writing right. but at the same time for instance a great and so i judge on a few awards one of the awards that kept winning was at the wimbledon 
So one of the things that remember 3D printing was everything, everyone was, was all about 3D yeah, printing. Yeah. So what they were using at Wimbledon, so doing hospitality at Wimbledon, and they were using data on the players to predict who was going to win the game before the end of the game, significantly before the end of the game. And these were, you know, the final, so close matches. Right. And they got them all right. And they what they were doing was printing, 3D printing, yeah. The, uh, the actual trophies before the game is oh, finished. And Amazing. They got them all right. No way. And it's just showing the power of predictive intelligence in a really f- interesting, innovative, creative way and risky. They could have got it wrong. Where I want to move on to next then is something we just briefly touched on. And of course, it's over talked about at the moment. And I don't know whether it's going to become, you know, the next second life or whether there is something bigger in here. It might instinct about this one is that it probably is bigger but i'd love to hear your thoughts on the metaverse so not not specifically meta itself eg the rebranded facebook but but more the possibility of metaverse and are you seeing anything interesting yet emerging in your in in your field and i think it's interesting to come at that from a a marketing point of view because marketing technology has sort of spearheaded a lot of digital change over the course of the last 20 years let's say so, so what's the current conversation on metaverse, and and where's your head at? Yeah, it's a fascinating one, and I think knowingly there's an awareness that's being probably overhyped. You know, McKinsey are talking about five trillion by twenty thirty. You know, yeah. Um, now, but the truth is, even though I do believe it is overhyped, it's nevertheless there is value, and it does drive things forward. Mm. And I think the consensus in the marketing communities, look, there, there'll be some cool things that happen in, in the metaverse in the short term, but they will be a bit gimmicky. But what does drive is some really interesting stuff underneath that. Things like the ability to move between worlds. It's kind of boring stuff. And this is often the truth, right? The, yeah. the big change is the not sexy stuff, like marketing automation, all that kind of stuff. That changed the world, but people don't talk about it that much. They were talking about mobile. So it's the boring stuff often which gets overlooked. And that's where you see the change because actually about bringing together, and I see these pendulum swings as kind of bridges forward. Mm-hmm. And actually, I mean, I love Neuromancer. It's one of my favorite books. But oh, I love Neuromancer too. Un- exactly. Unlikely to be living their life in this kind of 3D reality. But the augmentation of our current reality, the ability to use blockchain as an authentication, and, and not just in terms of me as an individual, really important part of mark- digital marketing, the big problem we have is our ability to be accountable and to prove data, whether that is our influencer scorers, whether they're actually bots, whether actually the numbers are right. And actually, Metaverse, as it starts to use things like blockchain more, and I think actually you start to get this unification around things like identity, Mm -hmm. which actually helped to solve some of marketing's biggest problems. Right. Um, And all of that, as I say, it's less about the sexy stuff of me living in a 3D reality. It's more around actually authentication of individual personas. And of course, it's not not just personas, it's actual, it can be objects and... Yeah, NFTs. And yeah, exactly. And uh, and obviously currency in some way. So it it does set up a platform, I think, when when you come at it from those foundational building block point of view that I think have got, have got huge opportunity in them. How do you think it translates to to gaming worlds like, say, Fortnite and the sorts of 
tie-ins and stuff like that that the gaming companies do around things like outfits and mm-hmm. objects that avatars have got to my mind the metaverse is the is the connection of all of that stuff because it's, it's amazing how sort of gen z certainly and, and maybe elements of millennial and gen x i'm not 100 percent sure put real value in the, the sort of the outfits that they've got in Fortnite, for example you know so you can imagine like a gucci tie-in with Fortnite, where there's you know only 10 versions of that jacket. That jacket's an NFT. Yep, there, there have been a few of those launched already. And, and that is pretty sexy. And that's kind of an evolution of just saying, look, the brands want to be where there is social value, where the, mm. where the cool kids hang out, cool hunting, all that good stuff. So absolutely that's happening. That will continue to happen. But actually I do I do think the really interesting stuff is the geeky, maybe boring stuff, which is less obvious. Yeah. It's less about the Gucci outfit in, in Fortnite. Mm-hmm. But it's more around things like solving the problems we have as marketeers around how do we actually target people and really without having to infringe on their privacy. So much of marketing is wasted, right? Yeah, right. You see so many yeah. ads which are irrelevant. As a marketeer, that is horrible. It's not just bad for the customer. We always talk about customer experience, right? Put the customer at the heart of everything. And then we bombard her with irrelevant ads, whether that's in Fortnite or whether that is in you know, driving down the motorway. Well, it's the classic case, isn't it, of um, I'm looking for a new bag. So I go on and I search about and I find the bag that I want and then I buy it. And then I get six months of ads on bags after that. Yeah, and you've not even bought the bag for yourself. You've bought it for your mum. Yeah, right, is, indeed. Well, indeed. have that at the moment being followed by actually bag ads. So actually the ability for marketing to be, become much more one-to-one, much more driven by me as a, as a consumer. So the, the metaverse actually, because you have that ability to, you know, understand who that individual is and the ability to take your individual data so it allows you to then rather than having to recreate and maybe be misunderstood uh, but also to prove the effectiveness of advertising which is a huge huge problem so suddenly actually i know that i'm serving to the right people Mm. not a bunch of bots because actually blockchain and whatever it is is proving that I'm doing this stuff. So accountability, the ability to actually cooperate. So it's good from a marketing, marketeer's point of view, because it's heartbreaking to know so much money's wasted. But it's brilliant for a customer. And this is all about experience. It's about creating, but the ability to make the experience more authentic, more personalized, more meaningful. It's not just about selling more stuff. If we worked with um, Expedia in the past, looking at their recommendation engines, what was fascinating was it wasn't so much it was about selling more stuff, basket add-ons. It was about the customers having much better holidays. Right, right. And that was brilliant. And that's we. There's so much, and not just for the customers that lovely. It's wonderful for the marketing team to say now that we understand, we could help the hospitality industry also understand their customers better. Everybody wins. Is that what you're referring to when you talk about the human aspect and humanizing B two B, for example, in your in your book recently? Exactly. You know, because we, we talk about what our principles and the first five principles is people, not products. And, you know, product's important, but you've got to start with a person and whatever. So whenever we're looking at technology, whether we're talking about cloud computing, remember back in the day doing utility computing, yeah, yeah. grid computing and all these kind of, actually, it's about how does it make people more effective? How does it make people more um able to do their jobs, live their lives in better ways. And you've got to focus on that, then understand the hows and, and what's. Mm. It's how you make people feel. 
It's the experience you give them. And you can create friction in a positive way. Wonderful book by Sun Yu just recently is about friction and the positivity of friction. Exclusivity is a good example of that. Oh, exactly. Work- the same as like, if you want to buy a pair of Nike Jordan 1s, you have to go into a, uh, a raffle, you know, that kind of thing. Exactly. But I mean, even more so, so you have to prove that it's not just a raffle or queuing up outside the Apple store. It's yeah. an issue. You have to do a number of things, chase around the internet. There's things like you know, cookie trails to, to actually find enough clues to then. And it's interesting. It's fun. Mm. And it's not just impediments for the fact it's part of the brand. Ikea. Some people hate Ikea. It's all about friction. Because you have to put the furniture together yourself. But some people love that friction. It's interactive. It's, it's, it's it, part of the story. It's a bit like when, you, when you're forced to walk through the IKEA marketplace. Yes, that's friction, which, yeah. which often we find frustrating. Yeah. You know, the sweet aisle at the supermarket, oh, you know. But actually, when you're a bit more enlightened and you understand the consumer and her needs better, you can introduce the experience and you can start to create experiences mm. which are improving her life. And that's what, and it's not just millennials and Gen Zs. We talk a lot about, you know, the millennials want experiences, not products. So they're less fixated on stuff and more about you know, how they're living their lives. That's not just the generational thing. That's true of everyone. It's been a fascinating look at that because I think from a digital disruption and say cloud-driven change perspective, marketing is such a good industry to look at because you've had that underlying operational change. So the stuff that just makes what you do better, bigger volumes, bigger audiences, and more efficient. But that is coupled with, if you hadn't done that, there is no way you're going to keep up to speed with the level of innovation in how your consumers and and customers are actually living their day-to-day lives. You can imagine using old school marketing techniques in some of those early meetings you discussed, you know, and, and, and be thinking about blockchain and the metaverse at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that is such a huge leap. And I, I often talk about, say, the, some of the big leaps that Netflix made as an organization, for example, you know, going from logistics to streaming to content creation. Like, you, you, could, you wouldn't necessarily be thinking at the point you're thinking, mm, should we put a streaming platform in? That, that ultimately you're going to end up making the very films that you're streaming. And it, it's a little like that for marketing, isn't it? In terms of, it's, it's such a progressive series of steps that have been taken as a profession. I'm sure not always easy, but it's thoroughly transforming what you guys do. Absolutely. And I think what you're seeing is a convergence also of the role of marketing or a number of roles in the organization towards, we're talking increasingly about the human experience, which is transcendent of thinking about just the customer as a silo. Well, actually, how about prospect experience? How about the experience of staff? How about the experience of, so suddenly marketing, we're not just sitting in a silo trying to deliver ads to sell stuff. It's like, actually, we are trying to influence experience. And so that progression and the ability to influence using things like behavioral psychology, techniques, as well as technology and things like the ability to use really clever AI or ML uh, algorithms. Well, actually, this is about coming together and recognizing it all wraps around people Mm. (laughs) and you can start to become individualized. And that value which you're adding to the customer's life will also add that to your staff's also add that to your partners, everyone who touches the organization. And so you have, certainly have a transcendence of the role of this ability to create an amazing experience. That, that goes way beyond marketing. Mm. Well, a fantastic place and a big question to end on, which is how we like it. So thank you very much, James. Mm-hmm.
So what has your research found us this week? This week is going to be about Twitter. Elon Musk has bought Twitter. Oh, and the world takes an inward gasp of breath. Yes, yes. We need to mention this, right? Because this is quite disruptive. So after months spent trying to undo the deal he initiated, Elon Musk has paid $44 billion to take ownership of Twitter, honoring an agreement he made back in April this year. And the same day, he fired several top executives, including the CEO, the CFO, the chief counsel, and the policy chief who Musk has suggested caused the platform to favor liberal political views. And that day, he also changed his bio to Chief Twit and tweeted, the bird is freed. <laughs> and, and, and by the sounds of it, the, a lot of the um, workforce are going to be as well, aren't they? Yeah, there's a news today. Yeah, recent yes. news on, on that, which seemed exceptionally brutal. Yes. Very disruptive and brutal. Yeah, he's really going to change that company enormously. So so what do we think the the impact in terms of the product itself? And James, to to use a lot of what we were just talking about, the experience of Twitter. I mean, what's really going to be the outcome of this, do we think? I'm not exactly sure, but I do read online that there are a lot of people and companies worried about the way it goes now and the direction that it goes, and also from a marketing perspective. So, James, I'm curious, what do you think that is going to happen? <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. I posted about this yesterday because um, I'm I, a sort of a Musk fan in that I have a Tesla. I think he does some incredible things, mm-hmm. um, but I've also got some real reservations about him. But one thing I would say about Elon is he he plays a long game. He his his vision when he wrote his Manifesto 3 around Tesla, he said, yeah, actually, I'm building a car company which will die out because the car, longer term, is I want fewer cars on the road Mm. because they'll be driving themselves, there'll be robo-taxis, and so the car industry will die a horrible death. That's not somebody, normal statement of a CEO of a car company. So when you apply that long term, he's all about trying to save humanity. Now, whether you agree with his methods or not, you know, planet B, mm. you know, maybe mm. let's focus on this planet. He's doing some really interesting stuff, which a lot of people are not so aware of around augmenting human intelligence, brain, brain-to-brain communication, yeah. etc. So yeah. if you look at it with that lens, the obvious short-term thing around Twitter everyone's talking about is freedom of speech, of suddenly letting everyone, you know, trolls back on, Trump back on, etc. So... I think you have to think, okay, what is he trying to do long-term? I mean, I know there's some conspiracy theories about he's just trying to do it to distract people from why he might want to get rid of the Tesla shares. Um, But I think there is a long-term piece here where he's talking about society and the role of freedom of speech in society in the long term, and he wants to own a piece and influence that as part of his belief that intrinsic to how humanity moves forward Mm. successfully we need to have the ability to have freedom of speech now whether that's going to work or not i don't But also the outcome of it is you lose your blue ticks unless you want to pay for them shall yeah that's that's going to be the outcome yes yeah Yeah. (laughs) are you going to let yours go are you going to let yours go are you going to pay the fee i'm very proud of it so i think i'm going to pay the fee i hope it will go down yeah (laughs) a bit more (laughs) Well, look, we like to end um, every episode of the show by asking the guests what they're excited about doing next, which could be 
anything from an exciting new project through to, you know, what meal you're going to cook on Saturday. So James, what do you want to do next? <laughs> um, yeah, oh, it's a big project. Um, so in our first lockdown, we wrote Humanizing B2B, our book. Um, really, it was about, because my business partner and I were both huge bibliophiles, but we love reading. And there was so much really interesting new marketing understanding around neuropsychology, around storytelling, around just how, how we work. We wanted to try and sort of compendiarise that, that. Writing books is an interesting <laughs> experience. Yeah, um, so we're looking to, looking to write a One of the reasons second. I like doing podcasts because uh, I'm intimidated <laughs> by writing a book, never mind reading a, you know, long, reading a long one, never mind writing one. <laughs> Yeah, but suddenly, you know, when you have every evening, you've got nothing else to do other than watch Netflix, right? Yeah, so right, right. It, it was much more possible. Yeah. So we, we got our book out. So next project is, um, which is starting now actually, is uh, looking at the next one, which is going to be about human experience. Oh, fantastic. Checks. Because what we realize is storytelling and hu- humanizing is great, but it's about the lived experience, actually. Because people say, I love the concept of humanizing, but what does that really mean? Well, actually, what it is really about is creating experiences, creating helping i'm passionate about the environment i'm passionate about society and equality and if we start to try and pivot towards you know having a more empathetic and compassionate understanding of how we create better experiences for people in society and how we help one another sounds great really sounds great so thank you james for being on the show and also many thanks to our sound and editing wizard ben and of course, to all of our listeners. So we're on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Dave Chapman and Xiao Kizal. Feel free to follow or connect with us and let us know if you have any ideas for the show. And of course, if you haven't already done that, rate and subscribe to our podcast. See you in another reality next week.